Hey guys, this is Justin Jackson, host of the Justin Times Sports Podcast, and welcome into episode two. Well, today we'll talk about Gronk to Tampa, my NFL mock draft round one, and the Last Dance documentary. All right, guys, sit back, enjoy, and get ready to learn something. All right, guys, so let's start off with the biggest news from the past 24 hours. Gronk is back. Rob Gronkowski has decided to return to the NFL. He's been putting on weight lately, but the only quarterback he was willing to play for was Tom Brady. I guess that means he's going to Tampa, right? The trade was agreed to. Uh, The Patriots are sending Rob Gronkowski and a seventh round pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in return for a fourth round pick. Now, this is a great thing for everybody involved. The Patriots get a fourth round pick for a player that wasn't even on their roster. Tom Brady gets an old friend back. Gronk gets to go to a place where he wants to be, which is with Brady. Tom Brady gets a familiar face in terms of Rob Gronkowski to help with his transition. And it creates a massive issue for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a good issue. They now have three quality tight ends. You have Rob Gronkowski, you have Cameron Brate, and you have the future, I believe, in O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard has been rumored on the trade block. I guess these rumors got amplified even more since the acquisition of Rob Gronkowski. But I don't think O.J. Howard is the one we should be looking out for to be traded. I think it should be Cameron Brait. Look at Tom Brady's past. Two great tight ends worked out well for him. One of those went off the rails, and we know Aaron Hernandez. But Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski were together at one time. They worked out well. O.J. Howard is a receiver, body, playing tight end. Maybe Bruce Arians looks at it as a way of combining the two offenses. Brady likes to dink and dunk to his tight ends. Bruce Arians likes to gun it down the field at any and all costs. Maybe this is a combination between the two. Personally, I like the trade for everybody. The Patriots get another pick. That's a fourth round pick. Now, to certain fans, a fourth round pick doesn't mean a whole lot. But to a GM, that could be the difference between, say, pulling off a massive trade for a quarterback in the draft. Let's say two of slips of 13. I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say two will fall. Maybe they fall in love with Jordan Love, start hearing rumblings that somebody could take them. They can package a bunch of picks, including this new fourth-round pick, and go get a quarterback of the future in New England. I think this is a great move and a monstrous move this close to the draft. Very interesting to see both sides pull it off. I think we ought to start there, and now we'll move on to the mock draft portion of the episode. All right, guys, we're back. And now we're going to look at a mock draft, my mock draft for the upcoming NFL draft first round. I'm going to just be perfectly frank. Do I think this is 100% accurate? Absolutely not. Do I think the draft order will stay as it's currently constructed? Absolutely not. Which automatically makes my mock draft incorrect. But... It is the most fun part of the year with the NFL draft, trying to guess where everybody goes. Personally, I think there are a few locks, and I think after, let's say, pick three, everything just goes downhill from there. Actually, starting with pick three, everything just goes downhill from there. All right, guys, let's get it started at the top. The Bengals will take Joe Burrow, quarterback from LSU. The only reason why I say will is because they've used every single ounce of their pre-draft allotted time in interviewing them. They have put no resources into anybody else, which means they're not looking to trade the pick. Joe Burrow will be going home to Ohio to join the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, we talked about him in our last episode. 60 touchdowns, broke the NCAA passing yards record, 
the six foot three signal caller also won every single award you can possibly win as a quarterback in one year and he's as confident as anybody going into a draft i think he'll be a great fit in cincinnati pick number two will be chase young edge rusher out of ohio state he's the six foot five monster i believe he's flat out the best player in the draft and I believe he's even better than the Bosa brothers and Joey and Nick that came through Ohio State. He's flat out the can't miss prospect of the draft. I'm talking 10 time pro bowler, perennial all pro, possibly an all decade kind of player. This guy's an absolute monster and the new head coach in Washington and Rivera would love to have him on the squad. Pick number three, in my opinion, is where the draft starts. This is where all the trades can start to happen. At number three, Washington's entertained them but I don't think they're going to do anything. I think they like Chase Young a little bit too much to, let's say, move down to five or six and not have a chance to go get him. But I believe if the Lions stay at the third overall selection, they will draft Jeff Okuda, the cornerback out of Ohio State. The six foot one corner is by far the best player at his position in the draft. He is the second absolute can't miss prospect, whether he goes to Detroit whether he goes to Kansas City, whether he goes to New England, whether he goes to Miami, whether he goes to the Chargers, this kid will be a top five corner in the league within the next couple of seasons. He's an absolute monster. By far the best player at his position in the draft. Some would say a top five player in the draft, regardless of position. At number four, we have the New York Giants, and they will draft Jedrick Willis, offensive tackle out of Alabama. Now, this was a tough decision for me to go with Jedrick Willis here at four. I debated strongly Isaiah Simmons, the do-it-all defensive player out of Clemson. But I think that the Giants will go ahead and try and secure the offensive line for Daniel Jones. Jedrick is by far the safest offensive lineman in the draft in terms of he may not be have the highest ceiling, as some other guys will mention later, but he's definitely got the highest floor. Worst comes to worst, he'll be a quality starter for you and you won't ever be upset that he's on your football team. He's a six foot four swing lineman that can play guard or tackle, so it'll give the Giants offensive line flexibility. At number five, we have a really hard pick for me. I strongly debated going multiple ways here, especially considering the amount of smoke screen we've seen around this pick. Ultimately, I decided that the Dolphins are gonna fix the mistake of 2006 by passing up on an injured quarterback and they drive to attack of Alua, quarterback out of Alabama. Now, this is a perfect situation for Miami. They can draft Tua, see what his body's like, sit him behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for a year, go into the next draft with a high draft pick, trade those picks and have a boatload of picks to redo their team. Brian Flores is building a culture there. He's built a culture there. Coming from New England, he looks like he's gonna be the best New England assistant coach to come out of there. Two is used to a coach because he played under Nick Saban at Alabama, so he should have no problem adjusting to it. At number six, we have Justin Herbert, quarterback out of Oregon, going to the Chargers. He's a six foot six, big frame guy. He's mobile and used to a pro style college offense. He looks like Tyrod Taylor in terms of play style, but he's considerably bigger with a lot higher upside, so he should have no problem filling in the offense. Anthony Lynn likes Tyrod Taylor, so he should fall in love with Justin Herbert. He's a really smart guy with loads of arm talent. Maybe Jordan Love could have went here. I just think that Anthony Lynn isn't willing to take the risk at Jordan Love at number six. The Panthers are up next at number seven. They take Derrick Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. He's the best defensive lineman at the draft. He's massive, six foot five, 
326 pounds. He gives you the flexibility of a 4-3 defensive tackle or a 3-4 defensive end. He has an elite combination of size, strength, and athleticism. He's an absolute game wrecker and an offensive scheme destroyer. He did that his entire career at Auburn, and he'll continue to do that at the next level. At number eight, we have the Arizona Cardinals selecting Tristan Wirfs, offensive lineman out of Iowa. He's a physical freak. He ran a 4.85 at the 40. He's a weight room monster who possesses great feet and the ability to play either tackle. Rumors are having it that Arizona is considering drafting Henry Ruggs at eight, but I think it's an overdraft on Ruggs and also something that the Arizona Cardinals do not need. If there's two things the Cardinals do not need, it is quarterback and people who catch the ball from the quarterback. They need to protect their investment in Kyler Murray. They also go multiple different ways here. They can go linebacker here. I haven't said Isaiah Simmons name yet. They can go Isaiah Simmons here. They can go Patrick Queen here. They can go CJ Henderson here. They can go a lot of different directions here, but ultimately they're going to go with offensive lineman Tristan Wurst out of Iowa. Up next at nine to Jacksonville, we have CJ Henderson, cornerback out of Florida. He's universally regarded as the second best corner in this draft. He's six foot one with long arms and he's rangy. He's a better overall athlete than Jeff Okudo. He showed that at the combine. The Jags go here because they need a Ramsey replacement. The reason I don't have Jacksonville getting a quarterback is because they are openly loving their quarterback Gardner Minshew. So they'll pass on the quarterback here at nine. At number 10, we have the Cleveland Browns, which I think is another positional lock. Cleveland Browns will select Makai Becton, offensive lineman out of Louisville. He's an absolute freak. I mentioned Tristan Wurst being a freak early out of Iowa, but Makai Becton is 364 pounds and ran the 40-yard dash in 5.1 seconds. He has an incredibly rare wingspan of 7 feet. His highlights are laughably dominant. Guys are flying back like ping pong balls off a paddle. He could be this year's Quentin Nelson in terms of a highlight reel. And doesn't a guy like that feel like Cleveland? His biggest issue a lot of time with scouts is that he may overeat himself out of the league. No, I'm not kidding. That's really a main concern on a lot of things when you look this guy up is that he may overeat himself out of the league. I don't think I've ever heard that for a prospect. I mean, Jamarcus Russell had weight issues coming out of college and those didn't really expose that he got to Oakland, but exiting college could be of concern. But just like a lot of things with the Cleveland Browns, if he does keep himself together, he may be the steal of the offensive lineman in this draft and flat out the most dominant. At 11, we continue the offensive lineman trend with Andrew Thomas out of Georgia going to the Jets. I decided to go here because it finishes the Jets' motto of trying to get a Sam Darnold in the offensive line this season. They went out to sign free agents, several of them, and they have completely retooled the entire offensive line. They have a ton of receiver depth in this draft. Maybe the Jets feel they can get another player later. I think they could easily get a starting wide receiver in the second round with their next pick. He can play both tackle spots. He's very mobile in the run game. He has strong, powerful hands. And this should help Sam Donald give a little more time in the pocket for whoever the new crop of receivers are to get down the field. At 12, the Raiders will select Jerry Judy, receiver out of Alabama. He's the best route runner in this draft and an absolute touchdown machine. He had 24 touchdowns in his last 28 games. He has experience in NFL level route running and his route running highlights are flat out ridiculous. Now the position here for Oakland's obvious, but the player was a debate. There were several options there, but I decided to go with Jerry Judy. He fits like the West Coast scheme that John Gruden likes to run. He's quick in and out of breaks, reliable hands, and can play either the Y or the Z in John Gruden's offense. 
with the 13th overall pick in the NFL draft. After acquiring this from the Colts early in the offseason, we have the San Francisco 49ers selecting C.D. Lamb, receiver out of Oklahoma. He's a big playmaker and a run-after-catch monster. I decided to not go with Henry Ruggs here due to Debo Samuel and Marquise Goodwin's presence. He's a havoc wreaker after the catch, and he's a big play guy, 21.4 yards per catch. He's a monster body that can adjust to passes. Sometimes Jimmy G is a little sporadic, and the 49ers lost Emmanuel Sanders offseason to New Orleans, so they replaced him here at 13 with CeeDee Lamb. With the 14th overall pick, I believe Tampa Bay, with their new stars and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, decided to help those two guys out by drafting Josh Jones, offensive lineman out of Houston. He has a long frame. He's a great athlete with good bend. It helps the Buccaneers offensive line that was put to the test a lot by Jameis Winston holding the ball and may continue to be put to the test with Bruce Arians offense. He can move his feet to the second level on run blocks and that'll help considering Tom Brady likes to play action and having a believable offensive line will go a long way with that. Gronk's a great run blocker and I'm sure they'll try to address the running back either in free agency or in the second round of the draft. With the 15th overall selection, we have the Denver Broncos taking Henry Ruggs, wide receiver out of Alabama. He's an absolute speedster. He's the perfect last piece to this offense. He'll complement Cortland Sutton well. Now they have two running backs in Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. They have two receivers in Cortland Sutton and Henry Ruggs, and they'll have Noah Fant at tight end. It'll help with Drew Locke's play style, who has to go down the field. And also, John Elway needs to make this pick work. I mean, think about it, guys. After Peyton Manning, or besides Peyton Manning at least, what do they have at the quarterback position? Brock Osweiler, Tim Tebow. It has not been a really great situation for quarterback, so John Elway needs to make Drew Locke work to prove to the fan base that they at least have a future at the quarterback position. Possessing the 16th pick overall in the NFL draft is the Atlanta Falcons, and they will select Isaiah Simmons, linebacker out of Clemson. He's the most versatile defender in this draft. A reporter asked him during the draft process what position he plays, and he responded defense. He's an absolute steal at 16. He can play everywhere from slot corner to outside linebacker. He lined up a lot at middle linebacker in college. Maybe you can see him even as a standard defensive end on a pass rusher. He's an absolute ball finder. He's always around the ball. Just pull up a Clemson defensive highlight, and Isaiah Simmons is somewhere in the mix. He's a freak athlete, running a 4.39 to 40 at 238 pounds. The Dallas Cowboys have the 17th overall pick, and they will select Calavon Chase Song, edge rusher out of LSU. He's a raw pass rusher. He wore 18 at LSU for captaincy and leadership. He has a great body and a long frame, including great bend around the edge, and he is explosively quick. The Cowboys do already have Demarcus Lawrence at defensive end, but they're trying to get Randy Gregory and Alden Smith reinstated. Both of those guys are not guarantees, so one guarantee they will have for the long-term future would be Clayvon Chason, who's a rookie that they can take to mold, either behind those guys or with those guys to put in a certain packages. Dallas has a few needs, including defensive back, Speed in the defensive backfield, they could use a, another receiver somewhere in the slots and they lost Randall Cobb, and possibly a quarterback since Dak Prescott still remains unsigned. But instead, they address a need that they've been trying to address in the offseason with free agents by picking up Calavon Chason out of LSU. With the 18th pick, the Dolphins, with their second overall pick in this draft, take Javon Kinlaw, defensive lineman out of South Carolina. 
This is a pick to start filling out Brian Flores' defense, along with the additions he's picked up with guys like Kyle Van Noer and Byron Jones. He's built to be intimidating. I think he has ability to grow as a pass rusher. He's already a menacing bull rusher with powerful hands. He can get off a hair slow from the line, but I think there's something to do with anticipation, and maybe he knows he can physically overpower guys at the collegiate level. He'll have to improve that in the NFL in order to not get beaten as often as he did so far. However, I do think he's a plug-and-play guy that'll offer defensive line versatility and scheme versatility for the Miami Dolphins next season. Up next at 19, we have the Las Vegas Raiders selecting Marlon Davidson, defensive lineman out of Auburn. Uh, this was a tough decision between Davidson and Terrell, the cornerback out of Clemson, but I believe that they go with Davidson here to help with the defensive line. He possesses the best quote in the NFL draft so far from the combine. When asked what he loves about football the most, he said the fact that he can physically beat on a man and the police will not come. That is a great attitude to have from a defensive lineman, although admittedly a tad bit scary. He possesses scheme versatility. He can play defensive tackle in a 4-3 or defensive end in a 3-4. He can stand up or put his hand down. He's comfortable from either. He has an absolute great motor, which includes three blocks kicks in his career. With the 20th overall selection, the Jaguars go with Yator Gross Matos, edge rusher out of Penn State. That is the tough decision passing on a quarterback twice for Jacksonville with guys like Jordan Love and Jacob Eason still being on the board. But I believe Jacksonville, when they say they believe in Gardner Minshew, they traded Nick Foles out of there quickly. So maybe they are really all in on Gardner Minshew. He has great size, six foot five, 265 pounds. He's a very big boom or bust prospect. This is to replace Yannick Ngakwe, who will be gone by the start of the season, in my opinion. At 21, the Eagles go with Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of LSU. Now, this is also another tough decision here with this pick. The Eagles have multiple needs, including defensive back and wide receiver, but I figured they would try and give Carson Wentz some weaponry considering how the team fared last season down the stretch. Alshon Jeffries on the fringe with the team, so Justin Jefferson can immediately look to step into that role. The Eagles do desperately need receiver help. Even if Alshon Jeffrey were to return, they need receiver help at all costs for Carson Wentz. He's a bigger body that can operate in space, and he's great at adjusting to the football, which could help with Wentz immensely, who can sometimes be a little bit sporadic. With all that being said, the Eagles go with Justin Jefferson, receiver out of LSU at 21. With the 22nd pick, the Vikings, who don't really have a ton of needs, go with Brandon Ayuk, receiver out of Arizona State. Cousins could use the additional weapons with the trade of Stephon Diggs for a first-round pick. Now, this is the hardest pick in the draft. Like I said, the Vikings do not need a ton. And so they go with the need that can help their franchise quarterback and Kirk Cousins by selecting a strong receiver who was tops in the college football yards after the catch. And when the ball's in his hand, he carries it like a running back with vision and open field moves. At 22, the Vikings go with Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. At 23, the New England Patriots is always a very interesting selection. No one ever truly knows what Bill's going to do. So with that being said, I believe they're going to go with Zach Bond, linebacker out of Wisconsin. The reason I think this is because his pro comparison is Kyle Van Noy, who the Patriots just recently lost to Brian Flores and the Dolphins. He will help fill holes left in the secondary by three losses at the linebacker position. Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, just to name a couple of those. He adds speed and linebacker flexibility. He can pass rush. He can drop in coverage. He has good feet, smooth hips. 
that allowed him to drop seamlessly and also he's very maniacal in the pass rush. Now he is undersized for a full-time pass rusher so he'll have to be a combo linebacker but on third and long I can see him being a big pass rush help for the Patriots. To go with a guy like Chase Winovich out of Michigan which is somebody that was you know, special teams last year. Maybe Zach Bond can also play special teams while he's learning Bill Belichick's system. With the 24th pick in the NFL draft, I believe the New Orleans Saints draft their quarterback of the future and Jordan Love out of Utah State. This is an absolutely perfect situation for Jordan Love to land into. He gets a great offensive coach, and he gets a mentor for at least one season in Drew Brees, possibly two before having to take over for a New Orleans team that will still be good and young at that point. It'll be a tough decision for New England to pass on him if he's sitting there when New England picks. But maybe they do believe truly in Jared Stidham and they decide to go with a guy who can help them immediately on defense, losing those three linebackers. So they pass on Jordan Love and the Saints scoop him. Now Jordan Love provides an automatic air apparent for Drew Brees in New Orleans. And with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders in New Orleans, it eliminates the need for an immediate number two to go along Michael Thomas. A young number two, Sanders has a good contract. He'll be there for a while. And so the Saints decide to get their heir apparent and Jordan Love. With the 25th pick, the Minnesota Vikings are back on the clock and they select Robert Hunt, offensive lineman out of Louisiana Lafayette. Now this could be a reach in terms of pure talent at number 25. But the Vikings have the 19th ranked offensive line according to Pro Football Focus and Hunt can create flexibility there. He played tackle in college, but he'll probably grade out as a guard in the NFL. I believe he could be a day one starter in the interior of an offensive line, especially one that struggled like the Minnesota Vikings did last season. Now, I debated heavily going cornerback here. The Vikings lost three cornerbacks in the offseason, but I feel that the need offensive line with guys like Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen out wide, that they'll need all the protection they can get, and Robert Hunt will fit here for the Minnesota Vikings at 25. With the 26th pick, the Dolphins are back on the clock with their third and final first round selection of this year's draft, and they go with Xavier McKinney, safety out of Alabama. In terms of pure talent, he's an absolute steal at 26. He fills a void and gives Brian Flores a potential playmaker. He's the best pure safety in this draft. Now he did get beat by bigger receivers at times. He did drop three interceptions, although he did come away with three. And that's why I meant earlier with potential playmaker. He had three interceptions on the season, but he should have had three more. I feel like with some good coaching and helps with instincts, he'll be able to improve and get those three picks that he dropped last year at Alabama. Seattle is up next at 27, and they go with Isaiah Wilson, offensive lineman out of Georgia. Now, this continues the trend of a very deep offensive lineman draft. He has a massive frame at 6'6", 350 pounds. He has a great physique, broad shoulders, broad chest with a tapered waist, and it makes it hard for guys to go around him. He has good ability to maul, which helps Seattle run-based style. He has great signs to becoming a better pass blocker. With the 28th overall pick in the NFL draft, the Baltimore Ravens select Patrick Queen, linebacker out of LSU. He fills a need in Baltimore that they didn't properly fill last year with the loss of C.J. Mosley to the Jets. I think he fits better here than Kenneth Murray due to Baltimore's new signage on the defensive front. They don't really need a thumper because they've got two new defensive tackles and they can help out better with Patrick Queen being a little undersized and more of a rangy playmaker. He played big in big games. He showed out against Georgia in the SEC title game, Oklahoma and Clemson in the college football playoff games. He has a fast brain and great instincts. He can get sideline to sideline and moves a little bit like a safety. 
I think that helps because of his undersized frame. He has more mobility there and can really help the bigger Baltimore Ravens defense get sideline to sideline to create better stops in the run game, and he can drop better in the pass game. And now the final four picks of the first round of the NFL draft, also known as the teams that at least made the championship game. To start that off, we have Tennessee at 29, selecting Russ Blacklock, defensive tackle out of TCU. He fills a need with Jarrell Casey being shipped to Denver. He has quick, agile feet in close confines. Those great feet can defeat double teams by splitting through the middle of the two offensive linemen. He has elite lateral quickness and great rush instincts out of defensive end, so he creates further versatility for a Mike Vrabel defense. They did a lot of multiple things, did a lot of multiple looks, so he can play defensive tackle or play defensive end in either the 4-3 or the 3-4. Green Bay is up next at pick 30, selecting Michael Pittman, wide receiver out of USC. Now this guy's a fast riser. He started off as a third round pick, probably toward the end of the season, and I have him going in the first round because he's been flying up the draft boards. He has a big frame, 6'4", 223 pounds, but ran a 4'5", 2 in the 40. Now, hearing a receiver running a 4'5", 2, I know a lot of times the common fan will want the receiver to run a 4'4", even a 4'3", but Michael Thomas ran a similar time, and he broke the NFL record for single-season catches this is past season, running a similar time, running a lot of in-routes, being a great route runner. I think Pittman can be along those same lines. He took a big jump in production in 2019 as the go-to guy for a not-so-great USC offense. He has outstanding size and toughness. He does special teams as a gunner and is great at that. He has strong hands to make contested catches at all three levels, and I think he'll fit in right in at Green Bay. They like tough-nosed guys in Green Bay. They like guys who can do multiple things in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers still love him, and it'll relieve some pressure off Devontae Adams. But if not, Michael Pittman will get a ton of single looks so I think he goes there at number 30 to Green Bay. San Francisco will take Christian Fulton, cornerback out of LSU, at pick 31. He's six feet tall, a long corner with 4.46 speed. He only allowed a 40% completion rate since the start of the 2018 season that covers two college seasons. He can read and react well and mirror receivers moving with his back to the ball. And the reason why I have San Fran taking a corner here is because the team will need to create Richard Sherman insurance. This is the last year of his contract. He's already an older corner. Maybe if the price tag is too high, they decide to move on. And having a guy already in the system when he don't necessarily need anything this draft would be best to get him a year of development behind a guy like Richard Sherman. And for the final pick in the first round, I have the Kansas City Chiefs selecting Trayvon Diggs cornerback out of Alabama. He possesses a rare combination of size, strength, and ball skills. He stands 6'1", 205 pounds. He's an XY receiver, so that helps a lot with those ball skills and explains the size being 205 pounds moving that well. He has fluid hips that can match up well with wide receivers. He has above average feet, which probably goes back to those receiver days and it'll help bolster a secondary and a defense trying to catch up to an already historical offense. And that concludes my mock draft first round. Some big names were still left. Noticeably quarterbacks, Jacob Eason, uh, guys who carry name power like Jalen Hurts, cornerback AJ Terrell I have falling out of the first round who will be a very early second round pickup. But I think my mock draft is pretty accurate based on team needs. We had a big slide. Isaiah Simmons can go as high 
as four. I have him sliding all the way to Atlanta at 16. Just because a team needs, once he gets past four, not many guys need a playmaking linebacker. Specifically, they have offensive tackle needs, they have wide receiver needs, they have corner needs, and Isaiah Simmons doesn't fit those categories. But all in all, I feel very good about mock draft. Nobody's ever 100% correct. I don't have any trades in my mock draft, and I believe Detroit will trade out of three, and Atlanta will fly up into the top 10, possibly to get Jeff Okuda themselves. So we'll be watching on Thursday. I'll be glued to the TV, seeing how many of these I got right. And up next, we'll touch on the Jordan documentary parts one and two. All right, guys, and now we're going to talk about parts one and two of the Last Dance documentary about the 98 Bulls. It, I learned a lot. Uh, I didn't see any of this going live. I'm not from Chicago, so I don't know any of the folklore stories. But obviously, you know about Jordan scoring 63 in the garden against Bird and then Bird after the game going. That wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. And you know about some of the big shots. But to have and to see the open disdain that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and most of the team, it appears, have for Jerry Krause is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, for Mike to look at Jerry Krause taking some form of pill we couldn't see and asking, oh, are those your short pills? And then waiting a couple seconds and going, are those your diet pills? Or asking him, is he going to jump in the layup line that, or they'll have to lower the goal to his height? Scottie Pippen openly berating Jerry Krause on a bus so much that Phil Jackson finally pop, pipes in and goes, we're about to get off the bus, basically. Quiet it down so the media doesn't hear you. Or Scottie Pippen, it appears, playing the entire Bulls championship saga and championship years on an $18 million contract stretched over seven years, ranking as the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA. And he's arguably, at that time in the league, a top 10 player. He's second in everything in the Bulls championship years, except he's first in steals and first in assists. To put that in a price perspective, the 122nd ranked player in the NBA pay-wise currently is Andre Roberson. Scottie Pippen is a lot better and a lot more valuable to those Bulls championship teams than Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf, who deserves a lot more blame because he empowered Jerry Krause to do whatever he saw fit and only ever seemed to overrule him once when it came to Phil Jackson even coaching the last dance Bulls team. And those guys so vastly underappreciated and underpaid Scottie Pippen because he signed that contract fast to take care of his family. They took advantage of that. Although Reinsdorf told him, according to Reinsdorf, to not sign the deal, it was a bad deal. Scotty took it anyway to secure for his family, which I completely understand. But those guys wouldn't even renegotiate with Scotty Pippen so much that he threatened a trade. He had surgery laid, prompting Michael Jordan to call him selfish. When Michael Jordan was making $33 million, Scotty was making a hair over two. And so Scotty decided to try and take advantage and get his worth paid, so he took a surgery. I don't think that's selfish at all. I think that's trying to get what you deserve. You've won five NBA championships for this organization, and they won't even renegotiate your contract when you are by far the most underpaid player in the entire league. Phil Jackson, you can see some of the Zen master working early, holding all those teams together. Things I want to see coming up. I want to see a Dennis Rodman episode. I think they've teased it somewhere. 
but I would love to see a Dennis Rodman episode. He gets a lot of the younger fans with the crazy hair and the wedding dress and stuff like that that he did was very eccentric. You see him now with all the piercings and the tattoos, and he looks like an eccentric guy, and he was. He was incredibly eccentric, but he held those bull scenes together. He got all the rebounds. He did all the dirty work. He did a lot of the fighting and the protecting so that Jordan and Pippen didn't have to fight, that Jordan and Pippen could just go and score and be great because Robin didn't need the ball. I don't mean, to be honest, I don't think Robin wanted the ball. If Robin scored zero points and had 25 rebounds, he had a great day. And that's what exactly what those Bulls teams needed. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. I'm looking forward to seeing more of the Kraus trying to dismantle this team and actually dismantling it. I'm looking forward to seeing more of the behind the scenes drama from Jordan and Scotty. This is as open as we've ever seen Michael Jordan. I am very interested in that and I can't wait for the next episodes. All right, guys, I'd like to thank all of you for coming and to listening to today's podcast. I hope you guys learned something. I hope you guys enjoyed. And you can follow me at JTime Sports on Twitter. Please leave a subscription. Like us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm open to topic ideas and we'll be taking all of them into consideration for future episodes. We'll try and do this thing weekly every Friday, starting next Friday, giving us a week of topics to work from. And we hope you guys have fun and come back and join us again. Mm-hmm.